The subject for the evening talk is trust and the here and now. Though our world, that is the world of human beings, frequently seems to be a hard and tough place to live in, I rather regard it as part of the exterior manifestation. And we see in the world that we live in a considerable number of professions and activities which seem to only address or refer to this exterior world, shall we say, of a human being. And in a world in which there is so much computerization, technology, industrialization, and all the ongoing analysis which accompanies it, it seems that frequently the consciousness, the very sphere and scope of the consciousness becomes restricted to this world, to a, a mechanical world, to a world as I saw a piece of uh, uh, graffiti in London recently, it said 1984 plus 3. And sometimes in our living situation, in our conversations and communications with each other, we just deal, so to speak, with that level. And I would say that there is, within human beings, and deeper within human beings, there is within us a much softer area, a softer place. And it's this soft air, this soft ground, which we either spend a great deal of time avoiding through preoccupations and various defense systems, or we find ourselves in touch with and experiencing and either not knowing what, how to deal with this soft ground within our being or experiencing the feelings of being acutely vulnerable. And there are a number of situations which we experience in our life when we're in touch with this soft ground, it's got no rational application to it as uh, 
and no obvious kind of reasoning. And when we are there with it, we find it difficult to, to be with, to deal with, to stay steady with. And sometimes we find ourselves in direct conflict within ourselves in which we have to make a decision. And sometimes the choice that we are confronted with is a kind of hard, bare-bones choice or a soft one. One that shows more tenderness, more gentleness, a, a care. Perhaps sometimes when we're looking at ourselves in some of these points or these crossroads which you and I find ourselves facing in life, perhaps it's worthwhile seeing if we can listen inwardly to the decision which comes from that soft if not vulnerable place. Because I get concerned at times, and I'm sure you do as well, that unless this inner depth, uh, this inner, unless that's nourished, unless you and I continue to find ways to, to have contact with that within ourselves, there is a real danger individually and collectively of losing touch. A real danger. The human, our human biology, our inner life is enormously influenced by the social reality in which we live. It has a tremendously dominating influence on us. And the very potency of work, of media, of advertising of these other values keep, when they keep registering in themselves we become so attracted to them and preoccupied with them that in the movement towards them and the obsession with them we in each step of moving towards it's a step of moving away from something deeper and profound within ourselves And the price is human suffering. And not only that, but really sense of loss of uh, joy and, and, and laughter and friendship and human generosity and kindness and every value which really has value. That's what we're in danger of losing, collectively, as a race, as a species, as a, as a group, as a, as a people, as homo sapiens.
I'll speak sometimes in the time that you have been here, and in the short time we have been together here, you must have wondered, I think it's a, which is fair enough, um, why there isn't a lot more uh, instruction being given. And if you've been unfortunate enough to read books on meditation, um, you may have noticed in, in a number of the books extremely precise instruction, a very you know, systematic formula which is uh, offered. And you may too have um, read of the um, exciting experiences which are available. And one has heard of IMS and situated, bizarrely enough, on Pleasant Street. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's been a certain kind of optimism <laughs> that a combination of a lot of instructions and a location on Pleasant Street <laughs> will be the kind of panacea for all one's marital problems or work problems or whatever. And it seems hard, and it is hard, and it is exploratory for facilitators and, and all of us uh, together, to bear in heart and in mind that only really one instruction, in a way, or two, let, let us say, if we're ambitious, um, instructions have been given. The first, the primary one, is with regard to uh, silence as a very powerful communication. And sometimes we may have forgotten in our small group meetings in here in the meditation room that, in a way, there's the opportunity for 20 hours of total silence in the flow and uh, rhythm of the day, we may sometimes forget that we don't actually have to be in the meditation hall, that this is personal choice, interest, responsibility, and whatever, and that we don't go checking up on who you are and what you're doing and how many times a day you're developing a, a relationship with your pillow upstairs. <laughs> so hopefully within the context of the situation, there's a certain amount of freedom as a human being. And there's also the freedom to be with others as well. And all this is exploration of freedom. So all the communication if not the instruction, short and brief as they are, are around the essential human freedom to be alone, to be with others, to be silent, to listen, to communicate. And in all of this, all of this uh, activity, one emphasis 
instruction we might say is silence and the other is to be fully present to the present and that is said if not both in a way have been said and are said somewhat ad nauseum and in that it requires a certain faith a certain trust that there is some as it were integral usefulness we might say with regard to silence and with regard to being in the present and our heart and especially the soft place inside of us as well as our head may not be able to comprehend it may not understand what's it for And when we are doubtful and confused and un unclear, naturally, easily, heart and mind is going to reach out and it's going to say, oh, Susan or Christopher or anybody else that one can get one's hands on. Say, well, I haven't got enough instruction. I need, please, give me something more, something extra. A few tips. You know, like we're at the damn race course. <laughs> <laughs> and so we experience sometimes a waveringness, an, an, un, an uncertainty. And so sometimes, perhaps a little bit reluctantly, we, we say, well, okay, it's difficult to appreciate that. Then use the, use the, the breathing. This is a reasonably identifiable object. Seems useful for the life experience. You don't seem to be able to get very far without it for very long. If you're not sure of this, there are a number of buckets at IMS. Fill them up with water, put your head inside and say, how useful is breathing? You can confirm what I just said by your own experience. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, so we say at times, okay, we'll use the breathing as an object, as a means to be present, be silent. And, and, and in that, as a tool, remembering too that silence is important because if you can hear your breathing, it's a reasonable bet that several others can hear it as well. <laughs> they may not find it so exciting <coughs> and interesting as you do. So silence there and using the, the breathing, the fullness of the breathing to get a little bit more centered, shall we say, a little bit more grounded, a little bit more conscious in the present. And all of that still requires a certain faith, a certain trust to do that. But then a question that may, may ar arise, but what's so important about the present? I mean, it's just a few people sitting around, doing nothing all day, <laughs> being fed. 
<laughs> Why should one give so much attention to all of this? And surely there are other things in this world which are very, very important and major and major issues and so on and so forth. Or one hears about goals and things in things things like that, which is just to bring up a concept of no goals. Seems to press countless buttons. You know, the very thought of it. And so and, and again, it's in a way another act of faith. Another movement to look at something and not knowing why, so one is going on some kind of trust that there is something appropriate, something useful, something validating about engaging in such as silence being in the present. And in respect, that's all, in a way, that we are primarily, in a way, being told to do. Sometimes one sees in, in, in this that taking responsibility and validating oneself as a human being to see, to look, to inquire is extraordinarily difficult because of the externalized factors and the influences and dependencies which come from outside of ourselves. It's as though sometimes we need, it's understandable, need some kind of affirmation or re assurance that what we're doing is okay. And as human beings we become increasingly impressed by the countless authority figures who are around. And if one has been on television as an example, or you know somebody who's on television, it's become in this impressionable world which we live in, it's become the mark of success, of having made it. We lose contact with feeling this world and, and, and the soft place inside which is tender towards life, which is a sign of real maturity in life. It feels life and loves life and explores life. And we substitute it with another kind of world which is full of images, full of projections, full of interpretations, full of feeling, I don't know, I can't do, etc., etc., and all the externalized reliance on another, on others. And if I may say, uh, if I tell you a little, little, little story, I got a, in one of the one-to-one -one meetings today, I had a reminder of it, so if you don't mind me um, 
relating. Um, about the influence of the external and authority, like in this case, television. I um, am uh, involved in, um, in Britain in uh, um, the Green Party, whose inquiry and uh, analysis I regard as uh, very useful and appropriate and coming from a caring place inside uh, from people. So just a few uh, weeks ago, I was um, invited to be on uh, a panel, one Conservative, one Labour, one Liberal, and one Green Party, Walla, myself, and to have a political discussion. The only thing which was, um, you know, I felt any significance on this particular day was that it was the fourth time, this is true, the fourth time since 1969 that I had a tie on. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter has, has never, until that day, never seen me in a tie. I think she thought I was trying to strangle myself, but anyway. <laughs> And the film, the document, the um, interview, or whatever it was, in this BBC program called Natural Horizons or something, was pre-recorded. So the following evening, it was um, on the uh, goggle box. And a little girl, Mashona, she's five and a half, and a few other um, friends also came for the entertainment, um, was beside herself with excitement. She told all her friends in school, Daddy's on television, and when we're being introduced, she, she was so excited, she couldn't watch the television. She was jumping up and down, nervous, giggling, etc. And then, this is also, also true, this is the other end of the spectrum, my mother. Um, <laughs> my mother wanted to watch this, um, to see this, and um, so a uh, video of this was made. And she lives, my parents live in, uh, just outside London, in Surrey. And so I was going up there a week or two later and I took the uh, video to, her to, to uh, see it. And her response, you can hardly, you can talk about projection. You know, her response is the truth, it's so bizarre, was, Christopher, you look just like John Kennedy on television. <laughs> That nearly sent me back to the monkhood. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, in either case, being between the two of them, of course, middle way and all that, anyway. So 
how easily situations outside of itself gain a kind of life and authority on, of their own and somehow within all of that we lose contact with reality. And we substitute this reality with an impressionable world, a fantasy world, an interpretive world, an analytical world, a mechanical world. And this substitution has such a force to it, such a potency to it, that it becomes the real world. And is it any wonder that human beings all over the planet are living in conflict, are living in struggle, in the attempt to find out what's true and what's real and what's validating and what's authentic? And it seems to me that you and I have a particular responsibility in this area. Because even where there are cultures which seem to some degree, despite all the fears and superstitions, develop some sense of autonomy. Let me take a, a very good example and get over what I mean. In Ladakh, which is in the very northern part of uh, India, it's not so many years ago that the people in Ladakh went years and years, there wasn't a single murder in Ladakh. Violence was virtually unknown. There were no keys in Ladakh. Doors and homes weren't weren't locked. Caring, supportive society within a very difficult terrain. Mountainous, and little in the way of vegetation, etc., etc. And a certain culture which had some values within it. Ten years or so ago, the place was found by people on the road, by tourists, by the tourist operators, etc. In the last two or three years, there have been a couple of murders. There is stealing which is taking place. People are having to protect their property, their homes, their possessions, and all which is implied in that. And there's something about our society and our culture which carries with it 
this message, this mythology of taking, having, pursuing, gaining and getting as the reason for existence. And all the goals that are required for that, all the harshness of mind which is necessary for it, and all the influence that it's had all over the planet. And I feel that you and I have a tremendous responsibility to stop, to be still, to be aware together, and to look at what we are doing. To start in a way totally from scratch. Complete beginner's mind and look, where are we here and now sitting on this planet tonight? Completely anew. Because the old is destroying the whole planet. For that and many other reasons, I don't feel like I want to talk about path and, and formulating this, that and the other and putting everything into a very neat package, etc., etc. I feel like it's important for us just to, just to be here and just be, just be together and be quiet together and attentive together and listen together and to give people an opportunity as some of you have said of, who find it very very difficult to to speak and to say something in front of other people to have that opportunity to do that Otherwise the world gets ruled and dominated by the, the writers and the, the public speakers and the professional communicators and, the, and all the religious political ideologues. And the quiet people of the, the world and the soft people of the world and the tender people of the world and the gentle people of the world, their voice isn't heard. So in this work, if we call it that, in this work together, just as in the usual, shall we call them, what should we call it, religious traditions, a great deal of faith and trust is required. But it's often in the concept, in the idea, God, or truth, or nirvana, or enlightenment, or 
some everlasting heaven or hell or whatever the conception. And this we're saying, we're, we're looking at it, we're seeing what those influence of all the concepts are. And our faith and trust is that somehow or other, giving care and attention to what's happening here and now has some something to it which we're not comprehending. Which is not easy for the upstairs, for the attic world, for the mind, to actually comprehend. But it's got something, it seems, something, shall we say, to do with love. Something essentially to do with heart. With, with reverence. With respect. With freedom. And though you and I may, may not be able to see the, 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 direct, the direct link, shall we say, then perhaps it's going to require some reliance on faith and trust. Which is obviously an inexplicable quality. Not rational. And in that respect, all of our day is worth an interest in. It's worth being in touch with. It's worth feeling. It's worth making contact with. It's worth sensing and knowing about. Everything we do. So in that respect, the instructions are kept as simple as possible, uncomplicated as possible, so that the obvious can shine through uninhibited. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings see into life. May all beings live with reverence for life. So let's have a couple of minutes quiet period.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.